Hey folks, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of Fitz Nation. Happy to be with you and uh, happy to have this guest on. I actually just wrapped up talking to him, so I'm banging out the intro right away. Anthony Lionheart Smith, sixth ranked light heavyweight, fought John Jones for the title. And he's been in, what, seven straight UFC main events now. Of course, a couple of them were short notice main events, 2020 situations, COVID situations. But he just fights Devin Clark in the main event, gets a win. They found out it was the main event on Friday morning, way in day. But Anthony's a great guy, man. And I've had the pleasure of calling his fight several times, including the one against Tiago Santos in Belang, which we get into quite a bit because that was kind of a life moment for him and then called a couple of his main events. Um, friends with his coach, Mark Montoya, who's been on this podcast before, who's a great guy. And uh, he's just connected with that Midwest crew of James Krause and Laura Sanko knows him well. And I mentioned Mark Montoya and he does TV work with us on ESPN on the desk. And I've worked with him on the desk a little bit. So great connection, great to talk to him. And obviously he's off of a big performance and he's got a great story in terms of how he found his way to the UFC. So. Here is the interview with the sixth-ranked light heavyweight, Anthony Lionheart-Smith. All right, here we go, Lionheart. What's going on, Anthony? Not much, man. Just enjoying this nice, freezing, cold, snowy Nebraska weather. Yeah, is it snowing there? Uh, yeah, it snowed yesterday. Um, so is it windy as hell all the time in Nebraska like it is in Wyoming? Yeah, it is. Yeah, just it's windy crazy. all the time. Constantly. Yeah. Well... Uh, glad you're joining me, man. And uh, I gotta love that you have the microphone set up. You got the earpiece in. I mean, you're a pro. And the sad reality is people don't listen to the end all the time. And at the end of interviews, it's like catch this person here, here and here. But I want to I want to plug your stuff at the beginning because you got a lot of stuff going on, right? XM radio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm on when sure. is that on? And who, like, because I've seen it on Twitter and stuff like that. But when is that on if people want some more Anthony? Uh, it's uh, right now I'm on every Tuesday um, from 6 to 8 Eastern uh, on Sirius XM Fight Nation, which is channel 156. Um, and hoping that that role is going to grow a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, I fill in. Uh, we do, you know, at Fight Nation, we do a really good job of kind of supporting each other. So right. if Nation has something going on, I'll jump on with, you know, on, on, on her show and, and fill in for her when I'm, you know, when I'm in training camp. Um, RJ do, always does the second hour by himself just because of the way the time works with my training schedule. And then, Oh yeah. You're with RJ, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with RJ. So <laughs> he's a, he's a maniac dude. There's sometimes I just have my hand in my face. I can't believe some of the stuff that's coming out of his mouth. Um, but I, I love RJ because he's unapologetically himself. Yeah. Um, the stuff that he says, it's, it's not always necessarily the most popular, but yeah, that's his truth, and he loves it. If you don't know RJ, right, he's a regular host on Fight Nation on SiriusXM, but he also does behind-the-scenes work for us at the UFC. Like, he's a stage manager, and he wrote scripts for the Fox studio shows when we were at Fox, and now he's kind of traveled around with us. That guy is a hoot. I, I just want to tell one RJ story. He'll go to a restaurant sometimes. He'll do the move where, have you ever seen this? He lets the waiter or waitress pick the meal. No, I've he'll just be, he'll just that. go. Like, he did this in Rochester last year. He was just like, I like everything on the menu. Um, I'm gonna let you pick. What do you think I would like? And uh, you know, just whatever. He did that <laughs> at a Morton's. They brought over like a steak flight. It was like a hundred and you know forty dollars. And then he was like, Can you do me another favor? Can you pick a glass of wine or a beverage that you think will pair with this nicely? They picked him like a thirty dollar <laughs> glass of wine. RJ's of crazy. Man, he must be fun to do the show with. Um, so as we sit here, this is going to be released on, on like midweek, but we're sitting here, man, after Brandon Moreno went five rounds and Davis and Figueredo with that draw. I just want to get your thoughts on this. Dustin Poirier went and tweeted out last night. He said, great fight. Um, it makes me want to work harder. As a fighter, when you watch a fight like that, how does it affect you? It, it's inspiring. It really is. You know, it, Figueredo was one of those guys, even in the short amount of time that he's been the champion, he's already started to get kind of that invincibility factor to him where it, it's hard to even see where someone could beat him. Um, and it, it, the only real chink we've ever seen in his armor is, is, is weight cut issues, uh, which I think sometimes paired to his conditioning. So that was, that's really it. But with him just fighting recently, being in shape, you know, not, not having to, to come back down and just keep his weight down. Um, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm a huge Brandon Moreno fan, but I didn't give yeah. him a chance. Yeah, I didn't give him a chance. At yeah, all. a lot of people didn't. But and and even still, it was like 
he was just so tough. But Figueredo, every time he hits a guy at that weight class, it's, it's like it could, it could be good night, you know? Yeah, it's, it's different seeing the way that the people react when he, when he lands a strike compared to how they do the other guys do in the division. Yeah. It was, I, I, I wish I had, I could explain it better. Just inspiring to see a guy like level up like that and just, you know, just show up when it, when it matters the most. Um, it just watching it, you know, I had, a, you know, I had a couple friends over and I, and I was just blown away and, and they were, you know, they're big UFC fans, but of course the, the flyweights aren't the most popular division. So it's right. not like they're really deep in the weeds on some of those guys. So, just just seeing him i don't know just trying to like he was fighting like he really expected to win and and that's different when you're in front of a guy like moreno, moreno you're like talking that. about yeah moreno yeah, yeah he was yeah, fighting like, like he, he really believed it right right yeah which is uh to be admired i mean that was just a great fight and that kid is awesome you ever talked with him you ever a little bit yeah yeah a little bit sometimes at the apex because he does the spanish broadcast mm-hmm and so if you're, if you're there for a pre-show he might be there but uh yeah man he's a cool dude all right i want to talk about you now and uh, Nebraska, we mentioned Nebraska, right? Growing up in Nebraska. Um, just, just overarching thought. What's it like to grow up in Nebraska? I love it here. I love it here. People, I, I get the question all the time. Why do I still live here and then yeah. travel for my training camps? And, and like, I'm not in a super popular hub for, for combat sports. That's for sure. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like the slow motion lifestyle. You know, it's, I don't, I don't even go a lot of places because everything that I need is, is really close here in my neighborhood. It's, I don't know. It's just really, it's warm, you know? Yeah. And I don't mean temperature wise. I mean, it's just right. the people are hardy. It, it, you know, when I go other places and I'm driving somewhere and, and like, I don't see everyone waving at random cars. Like that's weird. <laughs> yeah. To me. No. Yeah. I get you. Loud so and like, clear. I, when I'm driving down the street, like you always see that hand go up on the steering wheel when you're driving, even if you don't know that person, it's just, you know, that's just how it is here. And, and you wave to every car. Yeah. Like if we're like, if you're on like a residential street. Yeah. Like a one-on-one and you're, right. and you're passing each other, almost everybody waves. That's great. Almost, and if someone doesn't, I'll get pissed off. Like <laughs> they're from out of town. Yeah. Like what are you doing? Like, you don't know the rules here. Like we wave at people, you know, and there's a couple funny, like Twitter and, and Instagram pages. Um, one of them's called only in Nebraska. And then one of them's, uh something in the midwest i'll have to retweet it just so uh retweet something from from uh from that account so people can see it but it's really funny like it's kind of the the things that happens in the midwest and right in nebraska you know like the things that we say the it's it's just really it's it's really funny and that kind of really it just captures kind of what it's like to live here i called the show a few years ago in lincoln right and obviously and i really wish we got to see you in lincoln this year again man that would have been a blast um and that arena was already on fire a couple of years ago. And it was in the main event that night. Ju- uh, Justin Gaethje and James Vick. But mm-hmm. um, I learned so we, we ran into locals in Lincoln, and they said that you guys eat as a meal uh, cinnamon buns and chili. Yeah. Is that yeah. a thing? Like you yeah. have a cinnamon bun and a bowl <laughs> of chili? Yeah. There's a, there's a local restaurant. Like it's a Nebraska restaurant. Like it's a school lunch. Yeah. Like sometimes yeah. you go to school. What's for lunch today? cinnamon rolls and chili 100 percent. yeah it's there's a it kind of that i think that 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 got started by uh this restaurant that's here local to nebraska it's called runza um and it made the mistake i never had a runza when i was there and so i was you gotta told have a, to. you gotta have I a runza. told to what they started doing i remember this as a kid that in the winter time when it would be really cold um the the bowl of runza chili would be as many cents as the temperature is so the colder it got, like you could go there, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, like Five as long cents. as it was, as long as it was a positive number, like it was four degrees outside, you could get a big bowl of runs of chili for four or five cents. Like, uh, that's beautiful. It, it is. It's amazing. It is. Anyway, right, I well, guess I, when you say it like that, it does sound kind of weird. Uh, it is cinnamon. Well, I just, you know, it's not a combination. Cinnamon roll is like you have with a coffee in the morning <laughs> on a cheat day. Right. And a bowl of chili is, you know, a meal at lunch or dinner. I don't think of it as breakfast or I don't know. It's just sweet and sweet and kind of a, you know, a hearty comfort meal. That's different, I guess. Yeah. I, it's good though. All right. I, I don't doubt it. I mean, it's two good foods. It's just, yeah. Okay. We got that out of the way. Um, so you're like, like I learned this about you one time when I was with Laura Sanko and she said, you're biracial. And then, mm-hmm. like, you know, it says it on your Wikipedia page. I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, no way. <laughs> she showed me an old picture. And it's like, oh, yeah, you are. 
But like a lot of people obviously would say you're white, right? They would think of you as, as fully mm-hmm. white, but by rate, but when you're younger, you can see it more. Um, would you agree with that? Right? Yeah. And some of your yeah. earlier pictures, I'm just like, oh man. A, l- well, a lot of it was, it was definitely my hair. Now that I keep my hair really short, right, it's, hard okay. to, it's, it's hard to tell, but yeah. when I was yeah. younger, I'd let the Afro grow. Yeah, that's, uh, th- that is, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah, I would let it go. But as I get older, my, my hairline is receding. So it doesn't look, <laughs> the Afro doesn't look nearly as cool as it did when I was but younger. But wh- what was it like to grow up in Nebraska biracial? Because it's, it's obviously- about the only know. negative thing I can ever say about Nebraska, really. And a lot of it was even more specific to Nebraska it was a small Nebraska town is where I grew up in. And, and at the time it was, it's growing now, but at the time it was 5,000 people, maybe. Right. Yeah. I've been um, in towns like that. Yeah. And there was only, it was me and my little sister uh, who were both mixed. And then two other brothers that were, they were also mixed and there right. wasn't any other black kids in the school at all. So we were different when we moved there and, and we didn't, I didn't move there right away when I was really young. I was a little bit older. So, um, I think I was in fourth or fifth grade. So it, it, it just, I was different and, and kind of indicative to Nebraska. Once you're good at something, they kind of accept you no matter what you are. Um, so as I started becoming an athlete, a lot of that kind of went away, but you know, there was a lot of uneducated and, and mean kids and, you know, lots of N words and, and lots of fights. But, um, I, I, and I think that's kind of where I get some of my attitude sometimes when I'm getting, Oh, it's it's kind of where some of my issues with John Jones comes from. It's why him and I beef so hard. Most times, John Jones kind of picks at people. They respond once, and then John keeps on running, and then they back off. Uh, the reason that John Jones and and my issue hasn't gone away is because I won't allow it to. Because I'll never let John bully me and and just take it. And I think a lot of that comes from my childhood. I just I've always fought back. Yeah. Um, did you? I'm trying to think if there's a follow-up question to that, but I don't know. I mean, you didn't have a bad life growing up and it wasn't like this, No, no. I you mean, know, it was just, you just had to deal with that extra thing. And, but yeah. I, I think it's interesting that it continues to affect you in your eyes in terms of how you behave towards other fighters, which is also For a sure. good thing to do if you're going to be a UFC fighter. <laughs> yeah, it definitely <laughs> not back down and not take a bunch of crap. Yeah. Um, did you have combat sports experience at all? No, no, I did, I did. I boxed a little bit. Um, the, the street fights were the, the training in terms of fighting. pretty much. That's kind of yeah. how it started. I boxed a little bit like as a freshman, uh, but it didn't really work with my wrestling schedule. So I was a wrestler in high school. Um, oh, so you uh, did wrestle. Okay. Yeah. Middle school and high school and, and yeah. I played football, but in uh, a little bit of boxing. But other than that, it was just grit. And that's kind of what carried me through <laughs> for a yeah. long time. It was the only thing yeah. that got me through. Um, did you dropped out of high school? I did. Why? I was in, you know, I get, I mean, I guess we got time. I, I, so my parents got divorced when I was five and just didn't like, I, I, you know, my dad was never around and, and I was in the house with all women. And, um, the only guy that I like that I had that like was my father figure was my grandpa. So that guy was like my rock. He was like my best friend, uh, and, and taught me everything I needed to know about being a man. When I was 15, um, he, he got cancer and, and it just really brutalized him and he just wasted away in front of us. So my mom was having a really hard time help, like taking care of him. So like I essentially took care of my grandpa as he was dying. Um, and it just really messed with me. And I just, it kind of just threw me into a weird spiral and I didn't deal with it very well. And that kind of fell into the rest of my life. I just started partying really bad and and I just didn't give a shit about school and I I didn't really care about anybody. So uh, the only thing that was really holding me together was being able to compete, whether it was football or wrestling or whatever. Um, You know, it probably will sound like I'm blaming it on the coach, but like him and I just didn't vibe very well at all. Yeah. Um, I think he thought at the time I needed a father figure. And at the time I just wanted to be left alone and I just wanted to wrestle and, and not be messed with. So, um, long story short, I ended up getting kicked off the wrestling team. And it was the only reason I was in school still. So once I couldn't wrestle anymore, there was really no reason to be there for me, at least in my, in my mind, as stupid as that sounds as a 32 year old man, (laughs) that was my reasoning at the time. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, sports, I think drives a lot of people because that's the fun part. You go to school, then you get to play sports afterwards, Mm -hmm. you know, like I ended up going to college. Yeah. Like I knew that my future was not in 
pro sports, but it's not like I'm sitting there loving geometry, but it's like hockey <laughs> practices today. And if I don't do all this crap, I can't go play sports. You can't go to practice. Right. right. So, oh, that makes total sense. What was the plan when you dropped out? I didn't have one. I didn't have one. I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I, I knew that it, it opened up a lot more time to do all the stupid shit that I was doing. Um, and that was really it. I, I just kind of was like, a, I don't know how to explain it. It was just like a ship floating around in the sea with no direction. I just was kind of yeah. out there. Um, and then that's when the whole subway thing happened. Is that right? Is that so you were just totally no plan? What were you working a little bit? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, making some money, but you're still living at home, right? So you Mm -hmm. have a place to stay, you have some food on the table, and you just have no idea what you're going to do. Yeah, no clue. How often did you go to that subway? (laughs) A couple times a week. I mean, it's a small Nebraska town. There's a bunch of places to eat, right? Yeah. Uh, Subway needs to start paying you. Have they paid you? Have you talked to Subway at all? No, we need to, though. Like, have you ever seen Happy Gilmore? (laughs) (laughs) i mean i mean he just needed to enjoy that sandwich and then he's sponsored by subway we've told that story obviously we shot a whole great ufc feature on it about how it's the origin of lionheart yeah and uh i think it's about time that uh they start having a new face of the subway campaign and i know anthony smith said that i've said that a couple times i feel like i'm getting i'm giving subway a lot of free a lot of free air time. Yeah, there. you should at least get some, like, you know, free food. Free like, sandwiches at just, least. Just, yeah, a day, right? Like lunch <laughs> a day. If, that, if that's still in the diet plan, that's not on the weight cut plan. But, yeah, so, okay, so you walk into the subway. A lot of people have heard this story, but, like, where's the flyer? Is the fl- it's where right in front you... of the cash register. And what did it say? It was, it looked like they'd printed a bunch off and then, like, taken one of those paper cutters and just had to slice them, like, this really small maybe five by five square piece. Of okay. Paper. Little thing. Not even, and not even like a, it's not like it's a pamphlet. It's not like it's on nice construction paper or yeah, like just, has any right. thickness to it. Like it's just, it's literally printer paper and it's black and white. And uh, I, I just looked at it and it just said at the very top in this really, really weird lettering said OFC. And then under that, it said what OFC meant it was Omaha fight club. So Omaha at the time was like an hour and 10 minutes from where I lived. So, and then it had like the date, the location, like when fighters were supposed to show up and, you know, a couple little details, whatever. So I, I'd like watched the UFC a little bit. Like I tricked my grandpa one time into getting me like the ultimate DVD or they were actually VHSs, I guess, but yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd like the local <laughs> blockbuster. Right. right. Um, and like, you know, and like, he didn't get he didn't care i was watching it but i just like hey grandpa i'm gonna get this he's like this is the same man that like i tricked into getting me like the the greatest hits of master p when i was crazy <laughs> crazy young and yeah, like yeah, my yeah. mom was like what the hell is this <laughs> so, <laughs> grandpa got it for me yeah um so anyways uh so i got i kind of knew that that's what it was but i wasn't 100 percent sure i just knew that i wanted to try it and i thought well i'll go watch one time why did you want to try it I don't know. I was, I've, I've always been that person that the thing that everyone else is like, oh, I don't know, that shit's kind of crazy. I've always, like, I've always in, initially thought I would do that. Like at least once I would do it at least once. Um, any other things I, like that, like that you can remember growing up or, or, anything, or since then, like anything, but like what, like, like what like, did you do that other people didn't do? Just the, like, like first one to drink a beer when you're a teenager. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. It's like, it, I, can't, I can't think of anything that like someone said we should do that and everyone else is like that's a terrible idea i've always been the person like i'll do it like right. always doesn't matter what it is like right ramping cricket, four-wheel, you know yeah, whatever ramping four wheelers <laughs> yeah okay like you know like chasing, first to go off the jump all that right stuff. always 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 the first one so cool my buddy who wasn't like in his in his personality he's not a fighter so i knew there's no way he was going to do that um but i've always been a fighter like i've always dealt with all my issues or problems in life with fighting so it, like that you know that kind of moniker that fighting never solves anything fighting has solved every problem i've ever had in my whole entire life um and and that's specifically in any kind of situation that i'm in that's bad or just in my life in general uh my problems have always been solved because i'm able to fight so um yeah i just i, I was gonna go watch the first time and it didn't really end up working out like that yeah you just you just jumped in what other problems have you solved by fighting 
Uh, well, at the beginning, you know, being the, the, the half black kid in an all white school, um, anytime, you know, there's big corn fed Nebraska bullies and, uh, I've always been kind of scrappy. So I just, you know, you got to fight, you fight it out. And, uh, every financial problem I've had since the beginning of fighting, like since I started my career has always been solved, uh, by punching someone in the face, take a fight, get a check. Right. And now you're good. Family. Um, what did, uh, what, what do you remember about that first night? Cause when we tell that subway story, it's often like, yep, I saw the flyer at subway, got into it. And the rest is history. Here I am in a main event, but we don't often get, Oh, I guess you told it a little bit, but like, what do you remember about that? Like walking in, you're there to watch. When did it be go from right. you're there to watch to the start of your career? Um, so we were sitting there and I, and I remember it being one of the most fascinating kind of places I'd ever been at the time. It was, it was like one of the few times in my life, like I felt like I'm supposed to be here. And I don't, I didn't know why, but it was, it was just really fascinating. Like the, looking back at it now, like how the sport is, uh, it was very, very crude and, and crazy unsafe. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, like the cage was on the floor. Um, there was no lights that were dimmed. It was in a very bright, you know, fluorescent light auditorium, um, just regular fold out chairs and lots of, uh, I'm trying to think of a nice way to put this. There's a, there's a, a lot of different types of people. Uh, <laughs> right, right. There's a lot of, there was a lot of, at the time it was kind of being one of their business models was to market it to a lot of the gang members. Um, you know, like put the guns down, put your, you know, put your dupes Well, up. yeah. What year is this? 2005, six, and four. 2006. And 2006. I mean, we're five years away from the UFC even being on Fox. Right. right. You know what it's, I mean? Like yeah, it's very, it's this very, is a different slice of society than what yes. the sport is now. Right. So, and, and, and it was, it was one of the rare places I think that you could have so many different groups of people kind of meet and match. Like, again, like they were kind of marketing it to the gang community, like instead of settling your beefs on the streets, you know, come in here and you guys just fight it out. Um, and then there's, there's your rednecks and crackheads and just all sorts of type of people. So, um, it was fascinating to me. I just, but really why did you think, then why did you think you belonged? I didn't. I just, I know, but like you said, I belong. When you walked in, you're like, I belong. Here. I was just comfortable. Yeah. I was really comfortable. I'm comfortable here. Yeah. yeah. I'm comfortable like in this group of people. And I think that that's a, I think that goes back to kind of me growing up and kind of feeling lost and never feeling like I belonged anywhere. I felt like, like no one is going to look at me in this situation and be like, why is this guy here? And right. I think that early in my life, I felt like I felt that feeling in a lot of situations like he doesn't belong here. Yeah. So I was like, I was in a place that I was going to be accepted for sure. I love that aspect of mixed martial arts. You get a little bit of it in football because the teams are so big, like 50, 60 guys. You're obviously going to get a large part of society. You got, you got white kids, you got black kids, you're, you get all different races, you get different backgrounds, but martial arts too. I mean, you get Ben Askren, you get you, you get you know, wonder boy Thompson, who's fighting Jeff Neal, you get all these different people, but then you come together in terms of this sport that we love and this training that we do. Like even me in the mm -hmm. jujitsu that I've done, which I, is on hold right now, but it just, you just go in, you're like, I would never run into this person or meet this person, but I'm cool with this guy. Like we're kind of friends now in class because we're doing jujitsu. You know, right. I was just going to say that before like you brought that, up, you know? before you brought up jujitsu, I was just going to say that it, it's, it's one of the reasons I think that I've, I've, done so well in the jujitsu world because that's kind of that it, it fits my mentality like sometimes it's it's amazing to me like the people you'll see in on the on the mat at one time you'll have the the up-and-coming fighter that's that just really wants to make it and change his life but he's probably been in a lot of trouble he's been in and out of jail he's just you know the quote-unquote degenerate that's trying to change his life having an incredible conversation and rolling session with a brain surgeon or yeah, you know, a, a financial guy or a real estate agent or like it's just all these different pots of people. And when you're on the mat, everybody's equal and everybody's the same. Like, but like you said, you would there's a lot of these people you would never meet. Like I've met like people that like quick story. I, I was training at this at this place here in Omaha and there was a guy. Uh, his name is Perry Johnson. Perry Johnson is a plastic surgeon. Um, totally not. A, he was older than I am crazy crazy successful uh in the in the you know the plastic surgeon world uh he's like 
the best plastic surgeon in the Midwest. Um, not a guy that I would ever hang out with or be friends with, you know, just because of our age differences and the stuff that we're interested in. Yeah. Um, my daughter ends up getting attacked by a dog. Uh, my, my, my oldest when she was, I believe she was three. So she gets attacked by a dog right in her face. Uh, uh. just, just totally just messed her face up really bad. Uh, I go to, I go to, I go to practice a few days later, Perry hears about it. And then this guy who's the best around, you know, says, bring your daughter to me. I can fix her face. That's not a guy I would have ever been. We would have never gone to him. We would have yeah. never been referred to that guy. And then all these, you know, now she's nine years old uh, and it's barely even noticeable. So it's like that relationship because of jujitsu, like saved her face. It's amazing. That's crazy. What a wonderful story. I mean, nuts. tough start. Good yeah. ending. Ends great though. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Like I rolled uh, when I went to extreme couture and I'm just like learning whatever, but like everybody's on the mat and uh, all of a sudden uh, Johnny Case needs somebody. And then I'm just getting twisted into a pretzel <laughs> by Johnny Case. And then I was just like, yeah, that's him. I was like, oh, okay. Well, no wonder, you know, yeah. like, and then, and then fist bumped afterwards. And yeah, and yeah, on. exactly. I'm just like, I'm just trying to give them a good enough workout in that case. Like just, <laughs> I, I hope you sweat just a little bit, but right. you know, mostly not. All right. So first fight, you win it, right? No, I lost my first oh, four. Oh, you lost one. That's right. I lost the first four. You lost four fights? Yeah, my very first four fights as an amateur. I'd never trained. I didn't even, in my first That's fight, right. You were like, I better start training. Right. I got my elbow dislocated. Most people lose four I, fights in, in amateur. They don't keep going. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I got my elbow dislocated in my first fight because I didn't even know what jujitsu was. So I didn't know what to do. When I got, I didn't even know how to tap. I didn't even know tapping was like a thing. You were like, yeah, in the street, there's no tap. Yeah. I was like, I was just stuck. Just getting my arm cranked on. Man. It's crazy. It so, but like, you still like wanted to. Very, like a very small rules meeting. And yeah. Very little rules. Like there had been times where uh, previous to me being there, obviously I would hear stories later on once I started fighting, like where the referee would be ref in a, uh, a fight with a guy that he was friends with against the guy he didn't like and if the guy he didn't like got on top the referee just pull him off and they just keep fighting like he's pull him off the guy in the bottom would come to the top and they just keep fighting yeah, yeah. it was the wild wild west yeah it sure was especially back then um and especially in those regional promotions like right back then and the regional promotions like right. it wasn't even I mean, sanctioned in the sport in, yeah the sport was still in, like bare, you like know. there was no sanctioning body that overseen mma in nebraska at the time so most people will say I was hooked after the first one and I started training right away and whatever. We hear a lot of those stories on the contender series now, mm -hmm. but you fought, lost, fought again, lost, fought again, lost, fought again, lost. And then you're like, now I'll start training. Like what, you know, yeah. what, what were you learning in that time where, or like, how are you still taking fights? But did you know training was a thing? Like, who were you looking to for advice or uh, no one really like I saw so I've lost the first couple, the first two were to the same person. So um, I remember like the, you know, the promoter at the time, the guy, guy here in Omaha named Tim Bazer said, Hey man, you should come back. Like you kind of, you know, like you did really well. Like I, the fight was actually a good fight. It was just, yeah. I didn't know what I was doing and he did. So, um, he's like, you should fight, you should come back and fight him again. So like, I don't know, maybe three weeks later, I come back, fight the same guy again, um, lose again. I get choked. And, but this time I figured out how to tap. So we're making, we're making progress. There we point. go. Right. Okay. And then I have two really, really close fights. Um, they just don't go my way because I'm just missing the detail. So, um, this old long haired man named Marty Anderson, he's not, I mean, he's old now, but he wasn't that old then. Um, Marty Anderson comes up and says, Hey, I, I, I train people kind of out of my house. It's just something that we like to do. My son, uh, competes. Um, you should, you should come and, and come hang out and do some training with us. So he gives me his address again, this is in Omaha. So it's an hour and 10 minutes from where I live. Yeah. So I drive up like the first time and I was like, this is amazing. It's just in this little building he built off the back of his house. Um, we call it the pit and you just jump down in there and, and it was carpeted like all the walls and the floor were carpeted. There was no mat. It was just foam and carpet on top of it. And I was just, I, I, I missed those days because I was so blown away at what I was learning. Cause it was just like, I was just getting blown away with all this new information. And from then on, I drove to Omaha every single day uh, for my entire amateur career, back and forth, an hour and 10 minutes one way. What did you think fighting would be for you? Going I, I didn't have a plan. 
I didn't have a plan. I just knew I really liked it uh, at the time. But, like, but I, this I, is a pure hobby. Completely. Completely. I was still trying to, trying to work and make some money and, and figure that part of it out. But I had no intention of it being a career. I didn't even know at the time that you could make a career. Like, obviously, I knew that there was, you know, there was that the UFC was a thing. Um, but you I didn't like, know, like, you didn't connect the dots of like where they come from. No, not at all. Right. Because that's an easy, you know, it's like, okay, I know about the NFL, but it's like, well, you know, to get in the NFL, you got to be a high level college football player. Right. But the UFC, there's no, there's no right way to do it. Now there kind of is, but back then Uh -uh. it was like, oh, those guys are on TV and I'm not, that's whatever. I I remember being like really confused when Marty, like after I'd been an amateur for a while and I was doing really well, I remember him asking me after practice one time, you ever think about going pro? And I was like, what does that mean? Like, I had no idea. Yeah. It's just, he was like, well, you know, you, they, the only real difference is the fights are a little more high level at the beginning and, and then you can get paid. And I was like, you get paid? Like, I was making money as an amateur, but it was definitely not the correct way. Like, I was, I was, I was putting money in my pocket, but it was, it was very, very dirty. Cash under the table. No, it was a lot of bets. Oh, so, bets. Yeah, it was a lot of bets. So, Did you ever throw a fight? Never, never. No, I didn't. I, after those first fights, were you ever asked four, to? No, no. After okay. those first four fights, I didn't lose again until my second to last amateur fight. Okay, so you're so, winning a lot. So people are betting on you, and then they're like, "Here you go." Right, tip. right. Well, and then it was, you know, like I said, it was a lot of, it was a lot of gang members. It was a lot of like kind of sketchy people. So like, if you're fighting, you know, a guy from an opposite gang, then everyone there's a lot of dirty under the table bets going on, and then they cut you in. And then, you know, one time someone says, "Hey, there's this guy in Sioux City that we think can beat you." And then there's people that are like, no way he beats Anthony. So then those guys are like, I'll bet you $2,000 that Anthony beats him. So then we go to Sioux City. There's a show. I fight him. You know, they win five grand or whatever, flip me a thousand bucks, and I go about my business. Oh, you know, and then there's like that happened in Kansas City. That's happened in Sioux City. That happened in Denver. That I mean, it's all over the place. This for is years, for two total years. street cred, bro. <laughs> it's wild dude have you that's told these stories the, i never that's awesome that's how i got the nickname lionheart have you ever seen the movie with van damme i haven't oh you gotta watch it it I might will. make, it on my make a whole lot more sense like it does sound like it's i mean it does it's kind of a double meaning like i definitely have a, a larger heart than a lot of fighters i think I, I think i'm safer mentally in a lot of places in those dark spots than other people are but um the movie essentially um not to ruin it but it's van damme fighting in these underground fights and there's a lot of bets going on and that's how he's getting paid from kind of his quote-unquote promoter to take care of his family after his brother dies so Uh. and take care of his brother's family so um that's how i was supporting myself it was you know and 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 my mom was super integral in that like she 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 seen that i liked something finally that i was like something had caught my attention and that like i wasn't getting as in i wasn't getting in as much trouble i wasn't out all night as much as i'd used to you know that i was before i was you had something to stay focused on i was focused i was finally focused on something so she dumped everything she could into making sure that i could continue to keep doing it so uh and she had no idea what it, what it was going to end up being uh she just knew that i wasn't in trouble and that she was sleeping better at night um because i wasn't doing as, as much dumb shit yeah oh man there's probably hours and hours worth of stories about those road trips oh yeah to pick yeah. up a to pick up a G from a gang in Sioux City, Iowa sure. or something. For sure, crazy, <laughs> oh crazy. You got to write a book. I've heard that. I've heard that before. That's what I've heard. <laughs> so you go pro though eventually, and then um, I want to fast forward. A lot of people don't know that you had your UFC debut in 2013. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, "Oh, he's made his debut in what 2016?" I think they'd mm-hmm. point to. Yeah. Um, I think we even had that on a graphic recently and I was just like, Oh, what about that first one? But, um, so like, but that's weird because you went down to Brazil, fought once, didn't go your way. And then you're out of the UFC. Like what happened there? Cause you fought in strike force a couple of times and then you get your UFC shot and it was like one and done. One and done. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I really, I, I, I don't think Joe Silva liked me very much and I don't think it had anything to do with me as a person or him as a person like we got along well when we were in person I don't think that he thought I was going to be very good I don't think that he thought I was I don't think he thought it was worth it really um 
And to be fair, I can't really blame him. I was very, very inconsistent. Um, I'd had a couple pretty big fights and, and had good showings, but I just, I wasn't able to finish. You know what I mean? I, I wasn't able to get the wins over some of those guys early on in my career. Like, you know, if you look at my record, I have, is it 15 losses? But in the last five years, I think I'm 17 and five, you know? Yeah. So like I, I've had a whole second career. It clicked um, after this fight, I feel like. It did. It did. And I, I, so I fought Hodger Gracie first uh, in Strike Force. It was in the la- very last Strike Force event. Um, and I feel like I did really well. It's just I ended up on the ground with a monster like Hodger Gracie. And, you know, it is what it is. But, um, and then I get a UFC opportunity when we all moved over. And I get another like six time world champion grappler. So it's like, I don't know. Like I could have gotten a better matchup at the time. Right. I was in Brazil, I, right? That you're it was you're in the road Brazil. guy, you know, right. not that you can't win that fight. You've won it uh, several times, but that's, it's tough. It's tough. And I was coming Big off ass. a loss. I had no, yeah. I had no confidence. I had no momentum. Um, and it just, you know, it just wasn't meant to be, I guess I blew my knee uh, defending the submission. Yeah. I remember that. Um, and you know, I was, I was one and out. Um, what did you think would have to win eight straight to get back in though? That's what I mean. What did you think would happen after that? Because a lot of people don't get that second, that 2.0 UFC experience. It was probably, that was probably one of the the few times where I've been like, man, I don't know. I don't know what to do now, you know? And, and so then I, I thought, okay, I'm going to have this knee surgery and then I'll get back and I'll just try to beat the best dude on the regional scene and hope that that shows them that, you know, I, that they made a mistake. Uh, and then that was not long after I, I think Josh near had just gotten cut not long after that, but he was crazy, crazy respected in the game. So I was like, Oh, I'll just fight Josh near then. And then Josh near beats me too. So then I had lost three in a row. Uh, I'd lost to Hodger Gracie, Brogan Neto, and then lost my first fight on the regional scene. So then it was a mess, crazy mess. And then I broke my hand in that fight. So I was back to back surgeries. What were you um, doing to get money in this time? Well, I guess you're fighting pro. So you're getting, you're getting some money there. Yeah, after the after I got cut, but all these um, surgeries and you got to stay out for a long time, you know. Right. Well, and then after the surgery, um, after the knee surgery, I had to I had to get a job. Yeah. Um, uh, because I had a baby at the time. Right. So we had a or we had our first baby, and she was two years old, like two and a half. So, um, obviously, I wasn't going to be fighting for a while. I just had knee surgery. Was out of the UFC, and uh, yeah, so I had to go back to work. Uh, what clicked then? Because then you go on a tear and that kind of is, this is the, the second wave of your career. I mean, I guess there's multiple, right? Because then you could also call the light heavyweight run a different chapter, but in that chapter in between, like you just, you figured it out. Honestly, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I, I don't even remember who the first guy that I beat. You know what? That's, I ended up in Bellator. Yeah, I remember. So, yeah, a couple yeah. Of Bellator fights. Yeah, yeah, I ended up in Bellator and I fought. I, I, we're actually not supposed to say that on this. Show. I'm oh. just kidding. I'm just kidding. I was like, damn, seriously? <laughs> it's, Anyways, my own, fought, it's my own production for now. So. Yeah, I fought, uh, <laughs> I fought Brian Green and Victor Moreno in, in Bellator. And those guys were, they're both from Des Moines. Uh, I have this really weird history with Des Moines, Iowa, which is odd. But I fought almost every major dude that's ever come out of Des Moines, except for Jeremy Stevens and... Oh, we'll have to line that up. No, it's not. I don't want to fight that guy. <laughs> uh, and Johnny Case is from Instead Des Moines, right? Oh, is he? Okay. I, think so. I don't know. I didn't know he was from um, the Midwest. Yeah, so uh, I fought those two guys, and they were, like, pretty well-respected guys, you know, like top guys on the regional scene. And those two wins were kind of what changed everything for me. Actually, and Brian Greenwood was the first time I'd ever been to a decision uh, in my entire career. So I think I grew a lot there i don't think i was as afraid of having to go to a decision as i was before but you know I, I changed my training up a little bit i just i think i was getting older like i've always kind of been a late bloomer yeah so i think just mentally and emotionally i was able to handle kind of the the fight game better uh than i wasn't than i had in the past and i don't know i don't know what changed i just was crazy focused i think working also helped a lot when you're not so worried about your paycheck and i need right. that second i need that win bonus it, like i remember saying in interviews then when people would ask me what changed and, and my answer was i don't have to fight like i was making pretty decent money actually not like just at my job and 
so I, I never thought about the money. Like I was taking, when I fought Tim Williams, uh, you remember Tim? He fought, yeah. he's the one who got head kicked in Lincoln. Yeah. I fought Tim on the regional scene when he'd only had one loss before he was. Yeah, he was good. Like, Felder knew him because he's from Jersey. Yeah, Felder yeah. called the fight, actually. Oh, did he? <laughs> um, he did. Yeah. Oh, was um, this Cage Fury? Yeah, this is the CFS Okay, yeah, that's where team. Tim came from. Sure. When I fought, um, when I fought Tim, I just wanted the opportunity. I was trying to knock off every top prospect in the entire country. That was my goal. Um, so I wanted to fight Tim Williams. He was at the top of that prospect list. So, and he'd already beaten a couple of tough guys. He'd, uh, I believe he'd been on the Ultimate Fighter, um, and he was getting close. So I wanted to fight him, and they wouldn't bring me out because I wasn't a local guy. I was nowhere close. I wasn't crazy popular. Um, so I actually paid myself. I, flied my, I flew myself and my team, my corners, on my own dime to fight Tim Williams for like 500 bucks in wow. the main event. Yeah, so like you lost money. Maybe so it was like a thousand bucks. No way I made any money on that Yeah, trip. lost money to, to, but, but to earn that win. Because mm-hmm. that win looks good to the, to, to the UFC brass. Yeah, and I had to beat him twice. Because then I had to go yeah. back and do it again. Oh, really? It was crazy. It was nuts. Cause then it was, I like he had won the first round. Like he'd take, Oh, they paid for of, the second one though. No, no. You had to pay your way back. Even though, did you have the belt? I did. Yeah. That's why you had to defend it. Right. And they're I like, well, you got to fly back here. Right. So I flew back and we did it again. <laughs> I did. So, but the, the point of that is I didn't care. I didn't care about the money. Yeah. Like I wasn't worried about it. It didn't fighting. It wasn't paying my bills anymore. So it didn't, it didn't matter. I just wanted to, beat the best guys that i could on the regional scene some people are motivated by fear but it kind of sounds like you were are the opposite i'm the opposite i know that for sure right where it's <laughs> like if you're but no if you're fighting with all this pressure and fear of i need the win right. bonus i need the extra check some people for some people that helps a lot and for other people that's that's not no. the way to do it yeah i've always told uh i've told lloyd i think i told him this a week ago when we were just talking about random stuff like if my bank account is full, I'm one of the most dangerous guys on the planet. Yeah. Cause I'm not worried about it. Makes um, sense. And, and I think that that's when I beat, when I beat Shogun, I, I haven't had any, I've never had that worry again. You know, I like when I fought Tiago Santos, I remember crying in the hotel room uh, after the fight, before I knew I got the bonus because it costs so much to go and fight in Brazil. Then the taxes, the travel, your, management fees your coaching fees like i was like i just fought my ass off and like i didn't make any money and i was so stressed about it like i'm, I'm just i don't know what i'm gonna do like i'm crazy like i'm not doing i'm not i wasn't like well off i wasn't doing well financially uh and then i got the bonus and i was like i remember just being so relieved that like now i don't have to rush back and like fight again and fight, take a fight that i don't actually want or you know, bad situation, fight injured, fight on short notice. Like, um, that, that was, that was when I realized like, that's, that's gotta be the problem. Like I'm not doing well because I'm worried. Yeah. And then that's, since like, and since Shogun, I haven't had that issue at all. So what's like, I crazy. Rashad, yeah, Shogun, exactly. Right. You know, Vulcan. And I was just banked, you know, I hit like four bonuses in five fights or something. Yeah, and, Gus and, in Sweden. Yeah. I was, and I was running through contracts really fast. Like, because I was fighting so much, they're only four fight deals. So he's yeah. like renegotiating every three fights, and the UFC's been really, really good to me. What's crazy about because for all your um, veteran status and UFC debut in thirteen before the stint in between, and then you come back, you had a nice three fight win streak. You finished like Sanchez in the third round, Lombard in the third round. Those were like bangers. And that Santos fight in Belang, Brazil, that was the third event that I called. Right. So me and Felder mm-hmm. down, that was my first international travel in terms oh, no of uh, working. Yeah. That was the first time for the UFC that I've been down to Brazil. And like I, most of my jobs in all of broadcasting have been like studio jobs, like just, mm-hmm. you know, in your own bed every night. So now I'm like embarking on this travel job and then I'm going to Brazil and not just Brazil, Belang had to get like a yellow fever shot to go there because yeah. it's like in the mouth of the Amazon. But that was, um, in some ways, a long time ago, but that was like two and a half years ago. That's not a long time ago from like kind of a life changer thing for you because, right. I mean, Tiago Santos and you as middleweights feels like a long time ago. (laughs) That was, and then you got fight of the night. I mean, that was an absolute banger. But I remember I saw you at the airport the next day. 
mm-hmm. and you had got obviously got the bonus. You were with Mark, right? And I was, yep, yep. And you were like, I remember um, because dealing with fighters, it's it's a whole different thing when you deal with fighters after a fight and you just see how they react to something. Some you know take a loss bad or good or whatever. And I just remember being, um, I do remember being surprised at how calm you were and okay you were um, mm-hmm. after you lost. And I didn't know the money aspect of anything, but I was also like, well, he fought a great fight against a really good guy and you got a bonus. But you were there just was, like- There were so many good things that came There was out like that a fight. calm in you. And I, I was, was just so like, happy man, to leave. I, I, was I was like, like dealing with it well. I, I was so disappointed. Well, Bolang, Brazil. That. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I was disappointed about the fight, but I knew I knew two things. Like, I don't. I live a very humble lifestyle, even now after all the bonuses and all the money. Yeah, I made, less is more. I'm right there I, with I you. I live man. a very I'm humble to sell lifestyle. A bunch of stuff. I, I drive a Dodge Ram. I'm not out here driving yeah. a Maserati. I'm not Bisbing here. I'm not super <laughs> flashy. So, um, I, uh, I I knew I knew that like financially, I was good for a while. Like, yeah, fifty thousand extra dollars is especially then it was a fortune like that's mm-hmm. i didn't need it i didn't need anything else um and then but after that's that, when you moved up i knew that i'd never cut to 185 again either so i i knew as soon as i stepped on the scale at 185 i, I remember standing on the scale and they said 186 and i remember thinking that's the last time i'm ever gonna hear that because i'm not doing this again how I'm come the weight cut it was i mean obviously the weight cut but like was it the process of the weight cut through camp or was it the night before weight cut all thing? of it all of it the, just the, every the, single the weeks, part of the weeks leading up to it just being miserable and sleepless nights because you're worried about your weight like you get up at 2 2 a.m and check it see how big you are and then you're like, oh. maybe i should go run like you're it's just sleepless did you miserable. try to like spit enough to like lose a pound yeah, but that's an old wrestler trick for sure. Back in the day, like you'd see guys in high school walking around spitting in Powerade bottles. And yeah, shit. but um, I did. Yeah, I just I was I was content leaving. Uh, you know, like when you see me in the airport, I just like financially, I knew that, like, all right, I'm going back to my family. Like, at least I fought hard enough to impress the bosses to to give me an extra check, and I know that like things are going to be different when I move up. Did uh, um. Do you have to get the blessing of them to move up? I I don't I don't know honestly I I don't know I think that because like how does that process work when after that fight's done obviously it's through your manager or whatever and you just go like I'm I'm light heavyweight now mm-hmm. like they they also have to be like okay well I think they right. well they wanted me to move up anyways oh they did okay. I was already getting in trouble not in trouble but I was well, already just, having well they knew the weight with- cut was a big ask. Well, they, I was already getting like athletic commissions were already kind of sweating oh, me anyways, well, because that's huge. They started weighing us, you know, like, like Dover has the same problem right now. Yeah. When you show up on a Tuesday. Right. And you're like, crazy dude, heavy. Yeah, and then, right. and then fight night, like I'm heavy. I, I was fighting heavier at 185 than I do at 205. Yeah. That's crazy. The way that my you? weight was just like 220. Yeah, it was like 218, 215. 218 on fight night. Crazy heavy. But I was bloated and lethargic. It's because it's it's all just it's all it's not good strong strong weight. No. It's, no, it's, it's fake survival weight. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So the UFC wanted me to move up anyways. Like the PI had already had some issues. Um, I don't know, kind of co-signing on my weight cuts you know like yeah they, yeah they, they were like we don't want to part well, of that that's and just this crazy. is the thing too where it's like the sport's more legitimate so we have the performance institute they can run the numbers and data science is more a part of it it's just like dude if you can't just do that and they, and they ran me through their whole gamut of tests once i got back from brazil and kind of healed up a little bit um and and i think the thing the performance institute did i already knew i was moving up no matter what so it didn't yeah. matter what they said whether yeah. i was strong enough or big enough to be there anyways I knew I wasn't going to do that again. And, and honestly, Mark Montoya told me he wouldn't coach me anymore if I didn't move up. Really? So, okay. So everybody know. in the world is like. I don't know if I really believe that or not, but like he was very, very <laughs> Sending serious a message. About yeah, it. yeah. Um, and I, I, my wife probably would have left me. You know, I was, a, I was a miserable, miserable. She's shaking her head right now. Like, <laughs> I was a miserable, miserable Horrible person to be around. So, but I think going to the PI and then, you know, doing the, the speed and the power and the strength and, and, and all the tests that they do. Um, it just gave me the confidence because I already knew I was already in the, the upper 10% of 205ers already yeah. uh, before I, as a middleweight. So uh, there's really no reason not to. 
So 205, you move up and you beat Rashad. And, you know, Rashad had seen better days at that point. And I don't want to diminish what you did because you just dominated him, which is, you know, a great way to introduce mm-hmm. yourself to that division. And then all of a sudden. That was life changing. So that's like, did you get a bonus for that one too? Mm-mm. Right. No. You were early in the night on that one, I remember. Yeah, we were on the prelims. Yeah. And so um, why was that life changing though? Well, I mean, obviously what came after it continued to be life changing, but why do you say that one was the life changer? Um, well, that one was, I knew that again, Rashad had seen better days, but I knew he was still dangerous. I knew that he was going to be my first UFC world champion that I'd ever fought. Um, I typically in the past, I hadn't done well with short stocky wrestlers, uh, that, that can, they can brawl that, that kind of describes Rashad Evans to a T. Yeah. Um, so he was kind of my, it was a, it was a tougher matchups on paper for me than, than people would probably like to give him, give him credit for. Uh, but I think that it's the relationship with, with Rashad that it like later on has changed my life. Uh, I remember being so afraid in the green room afterwards because his whole family was there. It was his last fight everybody's crying his family sat next to mine up in the stand so of course mine's celebrating his his is crying um, they put you they put the families next they put to the each families other. next to each other so that's right that's, that's my and, and like with my family is my drunk friends so they're just going crazy <laughs> spilling beer all over the right. place his kids are crying it was a mess so i see him in the green room uh and i was so afraid to talk to him it was just so weird because typically i don't care but i just have always respected rashad so much and he came up and he like put his hand on my shoulder and said, where'd you learn to knee like that? And it was like, just made me feel so much better afterwards. And then we chit chatted and then we ended up working together and he's helped me a lot on the desk, but he's Rashad will speak to you sometimes. And you won't have any idea what he's talking about. So like, <laughs> if I have, like, I can talk to Rashad about my career problems or business problems, you know, like not knowing what I do with something or, you know, questions as a dad, or right. it's, 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 it's like, he's a weird mentor, you know, yeah. it's a weird situation just because of how we fought and, you know, and how our relationship has grown. But he, uh, he's like the most, he's the deepest thinker I've ever met. So he sometimes, is a very, he's very educated. Like you have a, guy, very, you have a yeah. question. If you have a question, Rashad won't always answer the question. Sometimes he'll give you another, it's like that commercial when you like yes. asking this really deep question and then he'll come back to you with something and you're like, what does that mean? And he's like, you're welcome. And he just walks away. <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of like, it's, I don't know. He just forces you to think, to think deeper. And I think right. in a lot of ways, Rashad's made me a better person. That's awesome. And then also, of course, it's like life changing because it puts you, you just beat a name, a former champion, and then they need a main event. So mm-hmm. you get a main event, you get your first UFC main event It's crazy against Shogun. And all yeah. of a sudden, you know, like, what do you remember about that experience? Cause that also I would say is, like you said, since I fought Shogun, I haven't had to worry about money. That was, yeah. you know, um, not only a win, performance of the night and in the main event. After yeah, we needed a finish because there was like freaking... It was a long night. <laughs> decisions in a row before that. Well, that was, in, that was my first fight um, outside of the country since Brazil. Yeah. So, like, so far with my experiences at the time, like, I didn't do that well on the road. So, um I think it was kind of a perfect storm for me. It was, how often do you get to fight a guy like Shogun Hua in the main event, not in Brazil, where you're not the away guy and he's the home team? So yeah. I, I was able to kind of get the, the shine and the rub from Shogun without having to do it in his home country. Um, it was, I think it was on like two weeks' notice. Yeah, it was and short. I was, yeah. yeah, I was picking up a, a – I think I was picking up a four-wheeler from, from my kids or something, and my manager called, and I had like really shitty service, and uh, I was like out in the middle of nowhere. And – I hear him say the UFC called, they want you to like, and then it cuts out. And I, all I hear is it's against Shogun. And I was like, Whoa, that's crazy. I was like, we'll tell him yes. And he said, I already did. I'm like, what do you mean you already did? He was like, I just knew you wouldn't turn an opportunity like this down. So I just took it right away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, it was crazy. I had to hurry up and rush to Denver and just kind of knock out that those week, that week and a half as quick as I could. Um, I wasn't crazy out of shape cause I just fought. So, um, yeah, that was that was wild. It was wild. Yeah, man. And to get that win, uh, and to get a win in a minute like that against Shogun, that I mean, you truly arrived that night. Yeah, yeah, and it went perfect. And you know, you hear like you know, Bisping's talked a lot about fighting uh, Rockhold on crazy short notice. Right, there's not enough time to overthink it or get too too deep in the weeds and and just start confusing yourself and overthinking certain techniques and what they do well and 
in two weeks, you don't really have time to do that. You just got to get in as good a shape as you can in that, in those two weeks. And then you just go fight. So I, everything I was seeing that Shogun had done was, was very new to me at the time. Like they said, like, like I mean, I obviously I knew Shogun was, I was, you know, I watched him fight, but I didn't spend a lot of time watching tape because I didn't really have time to. So it's, yeah, it was cool to like, just see it for the first time right in front of me and then just deal with it instead of, it was just problem solving instead Overthinking. of thinking. I, yeah. Instead of yeah. thinking I had the answer before it even started. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously you've had big performances, uh, since then Moncton, Canada, what a place, uh, or Vulcan. And then, uh, you beat Gus in Sweden. I, you know, hopefully, I, you know, God willing, I can get you back on the show at some, at some point. Cause I, like I said, we could tell a billion stories, but before you just beat Devin Clark, right? Big win for you. Come back main event, uh, another short notice main event. But you told me the day before that you were just feeling good about life because yeah. you had started doing therapy. Mm-hmm. When did you start that? Um, well, I kind of, uh, you know, I'd seen her on and off for a while. Yeah. Um, but this isn't a sports psychologist. No, no. I, I think that uh, I try to explain it, I guess, but I don't know if I do a very good job. But I think when I was climbing to the top and I'm just crawling and scratching trying to get to a title fight, um, I think I left a lot of things behind, you know, like if you're a mountain climber and things start getting heavy and you're trying to make it to the top, you just start shedding shit just so you can make it. Um, I think that me managing myself personally uh, was one of the things that got shed on my way up. And then I just, I, I think that. Like in what way person? like how do you manage yourself? Per- what do you mean by that? Just not taking care of myself, like mentally. Like I'm just, okay. if you just put your head down and trudge forward, I just, right. I think you forget. Not that thinking, not put yeah, not being mindful, I guess. Right. And right. so I think my cup was already starting to fill up. And then, you know, the John Jones fight was the, my, everything I'd ever wanted. Uh, so I think my shell cracked a little bit there. Uh, but I was able to get it back by going and fighting Gus. So I went there and I think I, I think I exercised a lot of demons in the Gustafson fight. Uh, and was feeling a lot better about myself. And then, you know, and then the shit show happens, the, the break in and then, the then the gut, you know, then the, the Glover fight goes the way that it goes. And then, so I just try to get back as fast as I can to get rid of it. Uh, and then Rackage beats me too. And then, you know, so it was at some point in time, you know, I, I had to figure out what the hell was going on. Like, am I not good enough anymore? Because I, I didn't feel like that was the problem, but um, you have to ask yourself all those really tough questions. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know. I just had to, I had to manage it. I had to just, I think I just had to brain, brain dump on somebody and, and, and it seemed to help. Yeah. But since you told me that I, I was thinking about, it and I was just like, I should do that. I was like, I should do that. I was like, I wonder if my insurance would cover it. No, it's like one of those things I feel like it has kind of a, to a lot of people would have a negative connotation. Like if you're seeing a therapist, something must be really wrong. And like my life's never been better in terms of, I'm grateful for everything I have, you know, and crappy mm-hmm. year, right. In a lot of ways and some bad stuff has happened for everybody, but, uh, it's, it's, you know, if you could just sit there and just let go. Right. And just organize your, organize your thoughts. And I think that's a lot of it. It's, again, it's not like I have this awful life and, and I just, you know, things are terrible. That's not the case at all. I think I just, you need to organize and you also need someone to help you figure out what, what's important and what's not. So it's like, it's a big whiteboard. I just yeah. throw a bunch of crazy stuff at it. And then we just figure out what's important and what's not and organize it. And then sometimes you just talk through it and it's not nearly as important as I thought it was. Right. Um, Something then, that's causing you stress and you just take a zoom out and then you go, this is nothing. What the yeah, hell it's not, yeah. It's, right. it's not that big of a deal. Um, and it's nice to, you know, you ever had crazy thoughts where you're like, I can't believe I'm even thinking about this. Am I crazy? And then <laughs> But I, who am I supposed to tell? Yeah, you know, like, right. Like it's a safe place. Like yeah, I can just boom, just drop it, and I don't have to worry about it. ending up on TMZ or, right, or, you know, on some crazy Twitter account. That's just you get it all out, all your crazy stuff out. So when you go media day, and right, you start rambling. You're saying, <laughs> yeah, you're not rambling crazy stuff. Because some people do that. Diego Sanchez chooses to do that. Oh my! There's a. Have you seen that? There's that one interview. I don't remember who was interviewing him, but. He was getting ready to fight Kiesa. It was his media I'm picking day. On, I'm picking on Diego, but I know, love Diego. He's an interesting I guy. I love him. I love him, guy. but I, I love listening to him speak when he's like. When he goes off. When, when, he's going, when he's going through some shit, I love listening to Diego for sure. Yeah. Um, 
when he's like, it's not a competition, Vato. <laughs> he's right. talking about Kiesa. <laughs> it's one of the best interviews I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, does your therapist do the thing where you say something and then she just keeps looking at you until you keep talking? Yeah. Like I, yeah. I, I did have a, uh, a doctor that I saw here in Vegas, like a naturopathic doctor. And I so appreciate it. It was just an hour appointment. And she was just like, oh, what's going on? And then you'd like say something. And then she'd like kind of make a note or whatever, and then look back at you and just nod and like, like, and yeah, it was just, yeah. And then you just keep talking and keep talking. And then like afterwards, you're like, oh, I just figured a bunch of stuff out because somebody just, they, they didn't talk. That tends to happen a lot to me where I'll just start rambling and going. Honestly, it happens with my wife a lot too, where I think I got this great idea and then I'll finish it. And then she'll look at me like. I don't know about that. So like, yeah, maybe that's not going to work. And then I'll just keep fi- finishing the rest yeah. of the thought. Yeah. And then afterwards I'm like, yeah, we just figured that out together. Right. Like, really? I just rambled and figured it out myself. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works. What's next, man. Uh, are you healthy after the Devin Clark fight? I would imagine. So you were like, uh, you made some quick turnarounds after those losses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know sometimes you're somebody who wants to be like, I need to unplug and take six months away. So yeah, how, what's I'm after plugging the, right now? You're the unplug mode. Yeah. I'm unplugging right now. You're healthy. You um, feel good. You got a big win. Yeah. It's, it's cool to unplug and after not, a win and not have well, that too. And not, and not have something that's getting fixed. Right. Unplug like, healthy. That's nice. Healthy. Right. So I With can, the holidays. Yeah. I got the holidays. Beautiful. I can just go work, you know, go do some jujitsu when I want to. And if I don't want to, I don't go. Um, that's yeah. I don't know. I, I, I want to fight in March for sure. March. Um, yeah, I seen someone. They put someone on a March 16th card, so I pay attention to that stuff. It's like, all right, someone's fighting March 16th. Maybe that, you know, that, that's a date for sure. Right. So um, that's kind of where where I'm looking. Um, where are you in the rankings? I mean, where did you move? Because you were six. But you I think I'm still, I was think I was tied six with okay. with uh, Vulcan. Okay. So now I think I'm six all by myself. Six. He's okay. Yeah. Any names? Because you you fought a lot of the top ten. You, I yeah, like so that you were willing to send a message that you still belonged, you yeah. know, and fight somebody yeah. out of the rankings and be like, no, I'm going to mm-hmm. take care of this business. Right. And then what's next? Yeah. And that was, that was tough at first, but I, not only do I know that Dana and the UFC appreciate people who swing big. So swinging big, isn't always necessarily fighting the toughest guy in the division. Sometimes it's taking the biggest risk. Um, and when Devin was open, um, you know, like, I guess, it, you know, like I, I did the same thing with Gus. Like I fought John, I got home on Sunday and they called and wanted me to fight Gus. They called me Monday. Right. I didn't want to fight anybody. I was, right. you know, I didn't want to, didn't want to fight at all, but I got the title fight. I lost it. And now you kind of have to earn your spot. So like, you got to defend it. Like, I feel like there's two different ways of looking at how you're, progressing through the rankings you're either trying to climb or you're defending your position like after you lose two fights in a row you kind of got to defend your spot and you know like i'm I'm not in a spot right now where i can look above me and start to drag those guys down i'm just i'm not i'm I'm a realist i understand how the business works so i know that i'm gonna have to look below me and we're gonna have to pick off one of those guys and again defend my position as the number six guy in the world Awesome stuff, man. Can't wait to see it. Let's go. This was a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate you taking an hour <laughs> it out was, of your Sunday man. I'm glad we me. finally did it. We've been trying to do yeah. this since like last summer. Yeah, I know. I inconsistently, you know, I was going to come to the pool on International Fight Week. <laughs> yeah. and, and, my, and then I was just like, this, uh, there's going to be loud music. You're going to have a few. And it's like, whatever. It was literally July 4th. I was like, I'll come down to the pool. And then my wife was like, let's go to the parade. And I was like, okay, I'll put my little, yeah, my little podcast last, on hold. Yeah, but this is good. This week. was good. You got um all the things to be uh to grateful for this holiday season man and uh for sure am i gonna see you any tv work anytime soon yeah i'm working next weekend hey i'll see you you there i'll see you You i'm calling play by play i'm not on the desk but uh you know we'll be at the courtyard sounds good to me (laughs) thanks anthony all right man take care hope you enjoyed that one folks and i hope that you have a happy holiday season um Got another guest lined up for next week. I think I'm going to try to uh, line up with Adam Hunter, the comedian at MMA Roasted, right? Joke guy. He's got a comedy special coming out soon, too, on UFC Fight Pass, I believe it is. So I wanted to talk with him on that, and uh, he'll certainly make us all laugh, I'm sure, with a few jokes. 
And then uh, I was going to do a year-end review show. Every year in the past, well, every year I've worked for the UFC, so for like the last two or three years, on social media, I've taken screenshots of my phone because I write out a list of the Fitzy Awards is what I called them. So, you know, the and it's, and it's related to my work schedule. So the best fight that I called, right? It's not going to be Zhang Weili against Joanna or Brandon Moreno and Davis and Figueredo. What's the fight of the year that I was at? Uh, what's the round of the year that I was at? What's the knockout of the year that I called? The best submission of the year? All those sorts of things. And then best hotel, best restaurant from the road, best dessert, best bar, uh, best coffee place all over the world, right? So um, I had fun with that on social media and people seemed to like it a little bit. And I thought maybe I'll do a whole episode of Fitz Nation. We'll do the Fitzy Awards. I'll put some pictures up there, show what I'm talking about. I can download them and, uh, and tell some stories from the road. Obviously this year, not many road trips. Went to Fight Island once. And early in the year, I went to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, Auckland, Norfolk, Virginia, Brasilia, the last one before the shutdown. So it'll be uh, a little bit different in terms of the amount of nominees for, you know, best restaurant, best hotel and things like that. But I think we'll have some fun with that. So uh, that'll be a couple weeks away. Look for that at the end of the year. But again, big thanks to Anthony Smith, who was able to join me. Takes an hour of his day on a Sunday. Gotta love it. Can't wait to see uh, who he might end up fighting in March. Glad that he uh, was able to bounce back, show that he belongs, that he's healthy, that he's going to enjoy the holidays with his beautiful family at home in Nebraska. Gotta love it. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next time on Fitz Nation.